Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Welcome to JGB episode four. Um, I think the, we, we're starting to get some sort of format here, Jay. Um, mm-hmm. I think the first thing we kind of, I always want to talk about is things we either missed or things you've asked about before and so on. Now, before we actually get to that, I actually want to talk about um, a book we actually read last night because uh, it actually relates to one of those things. So do you want to tell me what the book is? It's Who wrote about it? barbed wire baseball. Uh-huh. It was written by... Um, Marissa Moss, mm-hmm. and illustrated by Yuko Shimizu. I think Shimizu, yeah, Shimizu, I don't know, it's not difficult. Shimizu. Do you want to tell us about the book? Um, so it was about, so it was about, um, someone who, of Japanese origins, mm-hmm. who was a Japanese-American during the World War II time, mm-hmm. and he was moved into an internment camp on the west side, because mm-hmm. they thought that people who of Japanese origins on the left side of America were Japanese spies, so they got into internment camps. Uh-huh. And he decided to make um, a big open space into a whole baseball field, and they actually played a, a game there. They did, and uh, it was a really interesting story. And the reason I didn't, that I didn't tell you is why did I actually even how did I even find out about this story? So, here's where the story from my side actually starts from. This is from Matt Monaghan, April 17th, 2022 on MLB.com. The 1945 Tucson Badgers were incredibly confident coming into their game on April 18th. And why shouldn't they have been? They were the reigning six-time high school state champions. They'd won 52 straight games. They were sending their ace, Lowell Bailey, to the mound, a senior who had a 0.00 ERA in 1944. Just the fourth U.S. high school pitcher up to that point to finish a season without giving up any runs. So you actually asked a while ago, when we were talking about ERA, you was like, is it possible to have an ERA of zero? And I said, not really for a whole season. Like, um, a relief pitcher who probably doesn't pitch very often might get that. Apparently I was wrong. So four people actually went the whole season without giving up a single run, and this was one of the people. Now, what's this got to do with the story? Their opponents were the, I think you pronounce it Butte Eagles, a high school team that played at the Gila River Relocation Center, one of ten incarceration camps Japanese Americans were forced into during World War II. Now, you already talked about the history, so I'm going to skip through it a little bit because you did such a good job. Oh, families could take just two suitcases and had to sell off the rest of their belongings. I did mention the fact that they didn't have time to grab much before they left. So whether he managed to take baseball bats, that I don't know. I think it's said in the story that he, he actually... He bought them. He bought them, yeah. They had money, and then they gave it to whoever who left the camp and went and bought that stuff for them. Uh, Zenny Mura and his family were imprisoned at the Gila River, set about a building baseball field with the permission of the camp director. He started cutting down sagebrush one day and clearing rocks with his bare hands, and others eventually would come to help build what would become Zenny Mura Field. Uh, with tractors and shovels, and Zedemora would water the field every morning. Uh, they talked about all this in the story. Uh, yeah. The Butte teenagers 
have spent the last couple of years playing against barnstorming semi-pro and rival camp teams with much older adults as the opposition. They faced stronger, faster men, and they were also undefeated so far that season. Now, that's the part in the story that we didn't see. Um, we just knew that they had a game. They said there were 6,000 people attended, and oh, that was all it mentioned. They just mentioned that one game. But in a tournament came so, oh, well, it seems we follow Coppin State. This team's also the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles rallied to come back in the second, sixth, and eight innings, and the two teams headed into the bottom of the tenth frame tied 10 to 10. Butte had the bases loaded with two outs. Kanishi's son, Kenshi, had a full count, and on the sixth pitch, rips it past third base. The ball blew past Tucson third baseman, and Shoshan Shimaski came around to score the winning run. Tucson suffered its first loss in three years. So, yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, I saw in the article there was a book about it, and I, I was like, oh, this sounds really interesting. I'd like to find out more. Um, it was expensive on Amazon, and they didn't have it at the library. But when I typed it into the library, that children's book came up. I was like, perfect. So, yeah, we read it last night, but yes, apparently you can. It's not really a children's book if it's talking about internment camp in World War II. I don't II. see why not. Yeah. Well, it's got a lot of illustrations, then. I would yeah. say it was in the children's section, so... Um, I don't think it would be suitable for probably very young children, but I think it was su perfectly suitable for a second grader like you. And the other thing that came up for things we've talked about before, last episode we didn't quite get to talk about it. Miguel Cabrera was on 2,999 hits. He has got his 3,000 hit. Um, the conversation is next. Who is going to be next? So it might be a long while. The only person who's kind of close um, still is probably about two seasons away, and he's probably close to retirement, so he might not get there. Uh, some younger players, Manny Machado, but it's probably going to take him many years. I think he's only 30. It might take him another 10 years to get there. So might not see another one before you even graduate high school, Jay. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see on that one. And the other story, and you said this was in your magazine that you get as well. I can't Is it June? It was the perfect... Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's, the, what's the name of your magazine? The Week Junior. There we go. So, Japanese pitcher Rocky Sasaki of the Chiba Lotta Mariners. Um, we talked about after throwing a perfect game, and then he threw eight perfect innings, and then they pulled him after 102 pitches. Um, the pitch ended, the next game, the pitch ended a streak of 52 batters retired. Um... Uh, Sasaki retired 27 in the perfect game, 24 in the 8-inning outing, and the last batter he faced per prior to the perfect game. And on the next game, he worked 5 innings, 6-3 uh, win. Um, he got the he got the win, but yeah, he the first batter he faced, he actually let go on base. So his streak's over, but still very impressive. And yeah, such a big story that actually made um, uh, your little magazine as well. <laughs> Alright, time for our main review this week. So it's Coppin State, that's our team, uh, versus Delaware State. And this was really lucky. This was not planned at all. What was planned for this, Jay, is on my calendar, I have all the wrestling events listed. And uh, 1CW, we didn't have anything else that weekend. And I saw 1CW in Delaware. I was like, we haven't been to 1CW in a long time. Uh, let's go to that. Um, I didn't know any um, colleges particularly in that area, so I kind of Googled. Um, I saw Delaware, University of Delaware, but that was up in Newark, which was too far away. And I saw Delaware State was fairly close in Dover, and I was like, perfect, let's see who they're playing. <laughs> who they're playing? Coppin State. I was like, this is perfect. This could not have worked any better. So I was like, I guess we're going to see Coppin State again. So this was our first road trip. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what happened on the day? Uh, we so got first... up really early. We were up like 6.30 and left. Yeah, we went to McDonald's for breakfast uh -huh. just over the Bay Bridge. And yep. then we went to um, a museum about, like, airplanes, like, in-flight refueling. Uh -huh. And then 
Okay, so that was the Air Mobility Command Museum. Uh, it's located on the Dover Air Force Base. The museum showcases the history of military aviation through exhibits and a sizable collection of planes that have been used throughout history. Uh, our outside aircraft ramp will be available for you to see 25 historical military two. aviation aircraft, including Air Force Two, which we got to go on. Yeah, yeah. Any other memorable planes that we saw? Um, the C-5. What's special about the C-5? It was huge. It was. I wanted to take a picture of you standing next to it, and I got, I got to back up. I got to back up. I can't get the whole plane in. I got to back up. And by the time I took the picture, you couldn't even see you. Uh, you only have to zoom in to see the picture. It was like I was. It looked like I was like just some like piece of wood, uh -huh. like just leaning up against. It was just a little like... white dot, and you, yeah, it could have been pretty much anything. It could have easily been a piece of wood, or it could have been anything at that point. Now there is a baseball connection to this as well. Um, one, they had a lot of volunteers at the museum, people who had often flown some of those planes, so they could talk about them. And one of the guys, he saw that you had your Orioles hat on, so he was talking baseball. And I mentioned that I was a Red Sox fan because he was actually from Massachusetts. And he mentioned that the last time he went to a Red Sox game was 1947. And he read the lineup out, and it was like people like Ted Williams. Now, he said DiMaggio, and I wasn't sure if you were listening at this point because I was thinking, I wonder if uh, Jackson thinks that's uh, uh, Joe DiMaggio. It was actually his brother. It was Dominic DiMaggio who used to who used to play for the oh, team. Oh, I thought it was Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, he played for the Yankees. Uh, but yeah, his brother played um, alongside Ted Williams. And then he was just listing the lineup, and I was like, oh, yeah, all the people who were in the Red Sox Hall of Fame, pretty much. Um, I could have talked baseball with that guy for hours, but you wanted to look around the gift shop, so... Uh, we did. Did we get anything cool from the gift shop at all? Uh, um, a fan that was here, hand powered, mm -hmm. and I. Uh, so it's and fans like, like the propellers of a plane. Yeah, like you have to like keep pressing it over and over again uh -huh. to make it go really fast. Uh -huh. Like the top popped off like the next day. No, oh, so you broke yours already. No, the top like popped out. Oh, so you and now it's back just again. like, yeah, okay. like and it makes no air. Okay, so you broke yours then. Okay, that's what I figured. Well, Mason still got his anyway, so. Right. Since as as you were trying to put it inside your mouth and get it to run, and you were pressing How? it up against the floor, and uh, not surprising. Oh, well, it lasted a day. That's longer than some of the things you got. All right, so we were there for just under two hours. Um, while we were there, I know you hadn't been to Dover before, so I kind of wanted to go and look around downtown. So what do we see in downtown Dover? Uh, uh, I don't know. We saw the state capital for starters. Yeah. Uh, we kind of walked around that why, little area. Like, why is it so like I'm um, not like, why is it like so quiet? I mean, like, uh, oh, like DC yeah. is like so busy. I, I did tell you. I said I don't think it'll be busy, and it was the quietest I've ever seen it. And like Baltimore, like. Well, it's not a big city. That's the thing. It was. Um, it just happens to be like the first day, and um, yeah, it's not particularly populated um, for a Saturday. It's. Um, I'm assuming people who were going were probably doing like their chores. They were probably at the store. They were probably doing a whole host of things. There was no events on particularly in that area. Like last time I went, there was like a Comic Con event there, and it was packed. Uh, but that was the summer, so yeah, it was pretty quiet. We walked around. You got your picture next to the bell of the uh, USS Delaware. There was a recreation of the um, Liberty Bell that someone had donated, and you asked, like, why is it missing a crack? I yeah. said, I assume that's what the Liberty Bell used to look like before it had the crack. And, um, yeah, we walked around. There was an art museum that looked pretty Wait, cool. Wait, how did it get the crack? I don't know. I actually don't know that side of the history, to be honest. Did it drop, or was it just so heavy that it couldn't sustain its own weight? I, I don't know. I have no idea. I guess that'll be in the next section then, right? You give me. A, sounds like you just give me a little homework assignment to go find out. Yep. 
and um, we left for Delaware State. Uh, we parked up. We couldn't quite figure out how to get in to begin with. We parked on the wrong side, and we had to uh, repark, and then we walked through. You had to kind of walk through the football stadium to yeah. kind of get there. It was not the easiest thing, and then we are like, okay, we figured this out. We didn't see a concession stand, so we're like, all right, let's go back to the car. So we had, so we had like, we you said we didn't have lunch, we had snacks, <laughs> which was kind of right. We had like, and a, then we had a burger. And then afterwards, as we walked back, they announced as we sat down, they were like, the concession stand is open all weekend. I was like, oh my gosh, we if we'd have walked like ten steps further, we would have seen the concert. Anyway, so they talked about that. Um, the background for this is Friday night's game. Do you want to talk about Friday night's game? You got that there in front. Um, and okay. while you're looking for it, Jackson now is definitely not taking scores anymore. Because every time he's like, just print it out for me. I'm like, oh, fantastic. <laughs> okay, so for the Friday game, it was 42 Coppin State. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they took the win, 10 hits to 7. And they were already top of the league anyway, so they just extended that a little bit. Uh, the win went to uh, Neald, and the loss was Edelson. And um, after that, before we go into this game, I did actually research the stadium a little bit because I don't know anything about that area at all. Um, I saw an article on Beta Bay News uh, from July 5th, 2021. Uh, based in Dover, Bob Reed is a former longtime baseball coach and has lived in Dover pretty much his entire life. Up until a couple of weeks ago, the Wolverines baseball diamond with its navy blue fence surrounding it bore Reed's name. Now, what was the nickname for Delaware State? Can you remember? Because it wasn't Wolverines, was it? No. Uh, I think it was the Hornets. Hornets, yeah. I can see a picture. It looks Hornets. like a Hornet. And it was all red as well, wasn't yeah. it? It certainly wasn't blue. Anyway, it says, When I rode up there the other day and looked at the baseball field, I said, Well, it's going to be hard to see this when they paint that faint fence red. He said, But things change. It isn't Bob Reed Field anymore. It's Dell State's. Delaware State's acquisition of Wesley, which was finalized last week, means the end of the Wolverines athletics program. So, yeah, it used to be a different organization completely. Um, and now the, the football field and the baseball field are owned by Delaware State. And, um, yeah, so now it's the Hornets rather than um, the Wolverines, as it talked about then. Um, let's see what else I got on here. Oh, as you walked in, you got to stroke a dog as well. I know you always like dog. to do that. It was a nice dog. And um, as we sat in the bleachers... Um, one of the players came out and looked like it was waving to you. And I was thinking, is he waving to somebody like behind us? Like, is it a family member? And I was like, I don't think so. So I like tapped you on the shoulder and pointed to the player and you kind of gave him a wave back. And I definitely think they were waving at you. And then uh, coach came out as well. Coach came out as well, pointed at you. So I said, go, go on, give him a high five or give him a fist bump. So we were recognized as we walked in and it was, <laughs> it felt kind of nice to recognize to see the players and uh, they remembered us from a couple of weeks ago at play ball and um yeah I, I was excited to be an away fan i said to you actually i said there probably won't be many away fans for this one actually i was yeah. wrong i was wrong there was a good cheering section um there was a few people to the left of us uh in front of us and they were definitely cheering for coppin state i would say there was as many coppin state fans as there was delaware state fans so uh it made for a good game in regards to that um i did after the richmond game I was, i'm always interested now to know about the coach's history so i'm gonna look up the rivals um to find out so i looked up delaware state's coach the winningest coach in the history of Delaware State, J.P. Blandin, is in his 22nd season as head of the Hornets baseball program. I did talk about once you're a coach, you're often there for a long time. 22 years, that's a pretty long time. He has guided DSU to a school record 464 wins, including a 265 and 173 mark in the Mid-Eastern Athletics Conference. I don't think I realized what that MEAC was. I keep saying MEAC, and I don't think I even knew what it stood for. So now I know it stands for what it stands for. 
Uh, along the way, he has led DSU to six MEAC Northern Division titles and two MEAC Championship game appearances. And in 2017, Blandon was inducted into the Delaware High School Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame. All right, you did talk about the concessions. You mentioned you got yourself a burger. burger. I got some nachos and a soda. It was kind of weird though. Like there was no list mentioning what food was available. There was no prices or anything. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, so anyway, we got, I knew you'd want a burger because you're not like hot dogs. So that was good. That was a big burger. That was bigger than a quarter pounder by a long way. That burger was huge. So we got you that and it came to 8.25. I was like, that's perfectly good. I was thinking in my head, like a burger will probably be like $4, $5. Uh, nachos, probably $3, something like that. A soda could easily be $2, something like that. So in my head, I was kind of thinking, it'll be about $10. So $8.25, I thought was perfectly good. And when I saw the size of that burger, I knew we were doing pretty good. Now, you decided you're not taking notes anymore. So I actually asked you midweek, because I said in the second inning, I was like, you're going to forget, right? And you're like, nope, I remember what happened in the second. I forgot that until you said second inning. Good job, I wrote the it pitcher, down. The pitcher got injured. I don't uh -huh. know. Which pitcher? Like... It was the first picture they had, I think. Which team? Uh, the Hornets. No. Oh, he took a guess and got it wrong. No, Calkin State's pitcher was injured. So um, they came out to the mound. And like I said, at this point, he was doing well. Like, he, they weren't behind or anything. They hadn't given up a lot of runs. And mm -hmm. anyway, we saw the bullpen start to warm up. A new pitcher came out. So I'm not quite sure. I tried to look to see if I could find out if there was... Um, any information but yeah couldn't find out so there wasn't injury in that one um this was a long long game with all the stops for things like this after three innings which should be about an hour um it was an hour and 40 minutes <laughs> like oh my gosh now i'd forgotten with this being a double header it meant it was only seven innings i was thinking this was nine innings and i was like that's gonna be five hours if they keep going at this pace i was like we, we got to the saturday game. yeah we gotta leave before we, we gotta leave before that but anyway um I'm gonna. You kind of left probably around the third inning. You watched for about that long, and then you said, "Can I go and get one of the home one of not the home rumbles, but like one of the foul balls?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, I you did. Can... I looked for one. Wasn't uh -huh. there? I found another one. Yeah. Like I went to like the big grass area and started throwing it up and catching it with my hand. Uh huh. Because I didn't. Get I would my hope glove. you would catch it with you. Oh, okay. I didn't have my glove, uh, so okay. I was just catching it with my bare hand. That's fine. Yeah, that's. I was throwing it up like a good at least thirty feet. Uh, I don't know about 30 feet. I think I'd disagree with that. I'd say about 12 feet, but... How? I don't think you're throwing it that high. It there like... was a lot of foul balls that were going into those gardens that were nearby. The streets that were nearby, they were oh, going yeah. over the net. It hit and... the stone on the bottom. Uh-huh, and it, it bounced up into the garden. There was one garden that just seemed to get so many. There was one, um, a truck that it actually landed on the roof. They were parked really close to the net, but it just went up so high yeah, that somehow they it managed to get it, back like, down. They need to make the net higher. Uh, or, like, they... add the thing, like, the roof thing, net. At that area, I don't think they could have made that one much higher. And to make a, to make all the things you're talking about, it's expensive as well, so it's like, kind of difficult. Like, just the roof, though? But I don't know. You could probably, a net you could possibly put on. I think a roof would have been expensive to add on all the way. But like a net hey. roof? Like, like, oh, just like put okay. like little bar things in there and then like put a net and then that should uh -huh. be protecting you from the baseball. I think the problem with that, you don't want it too far because you want the catcher to be able to make fat catches in foul play as well. So yeah. if it goes up in the air, you don't want it just to hit the net. You want the catcher to be able to try and get there and make a play as well. So there is kind of a reason why it doesn't cover everything. Um, but yeah, you were playing, and um, so it's probably me to do the rest of the game then, right? All right. Um, the, what, the thing that oh, I yeah. noticed most... On my notes, Dad, it says Saturday 
game we were not at. Okay, we're it, not there yet. We were, we're at the yet. Saturday game. We're not there yeah? yet. There was two games on Saturday. I just said it's a double Ugh. header. This was the first of the games. This was a lunchtime game. Now, I was sitting with the crowd, and there was a lot... I would say there was a lot of bad calls. You actually asked at one point, because I was sat right behind home plate, so I could see, and you were like, hey, he's going across. I want to be behind home plate. Um, I thought there was a lot of bad calls from the umpire. The, stri yeah. the strike zone seemed very erratic. There was yeah. a lot that were called strikes that weren't. There was a lot of the reverse Oh, yeah, there was like well. an out, right? And then this is what the one I got. Yeah. So the play at home was called, I think this is the right way around, was called Save in the Fourth. And the, even the, the other team's fans were like, what? They were like, that was not safe. So Coppin State thought it was out. The other team fans thought it was out. And um, yeah. Uh, coach came out, argued. Uh, I thought he was going to get thrown out. He oh. didn't get thrown out. But later on, there was a similar call on first base. Now, the first base coach is a different... Uh, sorry, the first base umpire is a different umpire. And um, that coach did get thrown out at that point. So some people were saying, like, well, that kind of balances out a little bit. But there was just a lot of calls I didn't agree with. And the one from the Coppin State pitcher that was way outside the plate that was called a strike. And there was a couple like that. And he was going, strike! I'm like, that's not a strike. Like, he, so both teams were complaining not just about their own bad calls but calls that even favored their own team so it was it was a little rough like i just, would say like you should probably should just make them like get bankrupt like he should be bankrupt <laughs> um apparently it's really difficult to change umpires um i don't know what it's like on a college league there was talk actually the following night on uh, one of the big stories this week was sunday i want to say it was brewers versus mets and i want to say the umpire is angel something i think it's angel hernandez um he has a reputation for being a really bad umpire i remember joe west was a really bad umpire and he had low, a lot of calls um but yeah angel hernandez it said only called 85 percent of strikes correctly which is awful you're only getting five out of six correct some of them were being missed by more than six inches and um yeah, there is talk, and I know that I think they trialed it somewhere. There is actually um, a machine that can actually detect if it's a ball or strike. But people just don't want to go to it because they want the human element. They want a physical person there. I would rather have a machine if it's going to be accurate. But Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of bad calls. Then no calls. more bad umpires. A lot of bad calls on this one. Um, I would say this umpire because was worse than some of And it's different when you're doing Little League um, because there's a lot of volunteers in there. Um, it's not the same level of training. And we understand that they're not going to get everything right. But for a coach at this level, uh, for an umpire at this level, I thought it was particularly bad. I don't think either coach were particularly happy. It must have been frustrating for the players as well because you don't know when to swing because you just don't know where that strike zone is going to be. Um, key person from this game from uh, Delaware State I picked out was Crew Bolden, first baseman. He went three for four. Um, as a freshman in 2020, he hit 409 whew, in 10 games. And in 2021, had 23 RBIs, eight doubles in 37 games. And he also logged 33 innings and struck out 17 in 10 games. So he was somebody who was pretty good. Now, I said, hey, we got to leave Jackson. I was like, we've been here for three hours. So at the as we, get to, as we were finished up the sixth inning, I said, let's walk around to the outfield. Um, while they're kind of changing the picture and everything and then we'll just watch the top of the seventh from from the outfield and then we can get straight to the car and then we can go to our next place and we did that um coppin state did not come back and then everyone started walking off i was like huh i was like oh yeah double header um if once the away once the home team is winning and there's no need for them to bat because they've already won. So we did actually get to see the whole game, but it was three hours for six and a half innings. So that was pretty slow. Um, 
I did see one other game that caught my interest the next um, the next day when I came back. Uh, St. Peter's versus Fairfield. Uh, Jackson, the final score was 18-17. to 17. Uh, There was 19 mm. hits for St. Peter's and 17 hits for Fairfield. And that game also took three hours. <laughs> so the game that we saw that was only six and a half innings took three hours and one minute. And this game that uh, we didn't go to but was 18-17 to 17 in nine innings also went on three hours and one minute. So so, um, yeah, I think uh, Coppin State has some long games, and I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. Um, NCAA.org uh, totally miscalculated this one. They had the second game for Coppin State starting at 2 p.m. Um, it actually started at 3.30. All right, we were not at the second game, so do you want to give us a little update? You got the box score there. For the second game, Coppin State won 5-2. to two. They did, yeah. Um, they opened up the first with two runs, and they ended the game with two. Uh, they didn't actually need those last two because they were so far ahead, and this game also took Coppin State back to the top of the conference as well. And, um, oh, one thing I did look for this one. So having that team that scored so many points, JJ, yeah. my math interest was like, I wonder what the most points ever scored in a game is. So I looked it up. Um, I'm not sure it's a record, but it was really high scoring when I looked this one up. 2015, two Division II baseball teams put up a football-esque score. In the second game of a doubleheader, the Minnesota State Mavericks beat the Bemidji State Beavers 41-20. to The game broke the NCAA Division II record for most hits with 56 and produced the second most combined runs with 61. So I'm not sure what the record is. Um, additionally, Minnesota State's 41 runs set a school record. I would hope so. 41 runs in a baseball game. Uh, each team used eight pitches and combined for a whopping 110 at-bats. Surprisingly, the game was actually close at one point. Minnesota State led 27-20 to in the top of the eighth inning before getting 14 runs in the eighth inning. Uh, thankfully for Bemidji State, the game was called after the eighth inning due to the mercy rules as the Beavers failed to score a single run in the eighth. Uh, in, the two, in the two teams' first game of the day, Minnesota State won 10-9. Now, as I was looking through and trying to find out what the records were, Jay, I found like a 50-page document that has all college records in it, and I was like, oh, I love me some records. So I started looking through. Just on the first page, I saw something relevant for this, um, for this game, though. The most home runs in an inning... The record is two. So you obviously hit a home run at the start. Lots of people batting. You come up for a second time. You hit a second run. Second home run. Um, it says lots of players have done it, but the most recent person was Steve Ulaki. Uh, Delaware versus Delaware State. March 22nd, 2011. So it was actually against Delaware State. But yeah, kind of crazy. I was like, wow, of all the records to come up, suddenly Delaware State come up. Um, we actually were supposed to go to... Um, oh, we went to play around round of disc golf. Uh, a local course that we played about two and a half years ago and then i actually gave you the choice i was like um do you want to go to the wrestling or there's actually another baseball game tonight and you said baseball all right so why did you choose the baseball then who was Trick in it halfway to trick Halloween. halloween halfway to halloween Bowie bay Sox versus the uh it's the akron, akron rubber ducks Akron Rubber Ducks, correct. And we have uh, in-laws around that area, so I've seen the Rubber Ducks play in their home stadium before as well. Um, do you want to tell us some of the things you did at that game? Uh, you can remember. I played a bunch of games. You did? You did some trick-or-treating, like you said? I had four pieces of candy, got a lightsaber, uh -huh. and that's it. And after the match? Uh, I don't know. That was it? They just said everyone out of the stadium? 
big fireworks show. It was a very big fireworks show, and I don't think you've really seen a big fireworks show like that before. It was pretty impressive. Now, I actually tweeted out in the contrast, so I mentioned the three innings when we saw at Coppin State were an hour and 40 minutes. The first three innings of this game were 30 minutes. <laughs> they, these, game, these guys were playing oh, yeah. really quickly. Wait, it's always three hours, though. In the end, it kind of balanced out. It wasn't quite that long, actually. It was about two hours and about 25 minutes in the end. Because uh, they start about 6.35 and they finish just before 9 o'clock, around 9 o'clock. So, Because it, it, at one point I was worried, they're going to finish so quick that it's going to be too light for them to even do fireworks. But in the end, that wasn't really a problem. Anything else for the, that day? Yeah. I think that's it. We were at the house for like 15 hours, I think. it was a, I was tired that next day, but it was fun. I'm glad we did it. All right, JJ's not ready because he's rolling around on the floor, but it's time for updates of the teams. So we normally start with MLB, so now he's jumped to alertness. Uh, Baltimore first, Jackson. What have you got to share about Baltimore then? Uh, wait, hold up. I need to see. Wait. I don't know what my Baltimore thing is. Well, and they're going to play it, the Red I'm... Sox on the 29th and 28th. And... 29th and 30th. That's coming up this weekend, yes. On the time recording. We're recording Thursday night again for context. Uh, we might actually be out on Sunday this week, actually, JJ. Um, because there's a podcast that's not coming out this week. So we might jump up a day, actually. All right, well, I'll talk about the Angels game while you're looking for it then. Um, they won two of three. Uh, Anthony Rendon, who used to play for the uh, Nationals, was playing some amazing third base. Uh, Mike Trout hit some monster home runs. Um, I got to see Otani bat, which I don't get to see. He's a Japanese player uh, who also... Actually, that might not be true. I'm not sure where he's from, actually. I think it's Japan, but I'm not sure. Um, he also pitches as well. So he's one of the few players who can do both. So it was good to see him. The Orioles played really well. Um, I was really impressed. Uh, there was some impressed. good impressed. We got to see some good running, uh, some good base stealing. Um, yeah, they look good. I wasn't expecting them to take two or three. Um, and I actually saw today, Angels are actually top of their division. So, and Dodgers are actually not top of their division. It said that's a long time since that's happened in LA that the Angels are top, but the Dodgers are not. All right, by now, hopefully you managed to find your Baltimore notes instead of picking up on my little mispronunciation. Wait. Mm. Ow. Uh, Alright, I'll keep going. Orioles ace John Means announced on Saturday that he will soon undergo Tommy John reconstructive surgery on his left elbow, ending his 2022 season and likely sidelining him at least partway into the 23 campaign. Uh, Means was a pitcher who left in Brewers game that we went to see JJ, that we reviewed in uh, okay. uh, JGB002. So he was, he had a serious injury. Um, he has not undergone Tommy John surgery before, let alone ever sustained any sort of discomfort in the forearm, he said at the time of his injury. Typical recovery, though, for Tommy John can be last longer than a month, uh, longer than a year. I don't um, think I you printed see, it out. I did see, yes, I did, because I pointed to it before we started, so <laughs> you got to look at your notes. You already have three sheets of paper down there. Jeez. Look for the one that says, look for the one that's got Red Sox on it, or Yankees on I it. I know where it is, Dad. Hey, we'll read it then. Uh, I'm obviously disappointed, but more motivated than ever, Means said as part of a Twitter post announcing the prognosis. In the meantime, I'm looking forward to watching what the team can do this year. I'll be back. Go O's. So, yeah, tough injury. Um, he was the starting ace. Baltimore doesn't have a particularly deep pitch in, so that was a big loss for them. Okay. All right, you got anything, or are you passing? Um, For the Yankees one, after the Angels series. Okay, okay so they lost all... Three games. They did. First yes. one, they lost eight to two, twelve. 
Next one, they lost two to five. Mm -hmm. Then the next one, they lost five to ten. They did. So they got swept, unfortunately, which was a shame because they actually played really well out in uh, Anaheim on the road. But that's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, Red Sox update, kind of painful this week. They lost two or three to um, to the Rays and they lost two or three to Toronto. Um, the one Tuesday night was particularly <laughs> painful. They were down 2-1. I was kind of watching the score on my phone. I then saw they scored four in the eighth to take a 5-2 lead. And I was like, great. And then going into the ninth, it was still 5-2. And then they choked and it was 5-5. Five, five, and I didn't even stay up at that point. I was like, I'm not even listening because I don't think they're going to win. And they didn't. They lost 6-5. Um, they did win last night, though. So they it was 2 for 1 in that series as well. So, um, yeah. Um, I think Toronto is going to be a really good team this year, though. Um, I did mention a couple of players to you as I was talking today. Uh, former, uh, I guess, second-generation players but Vlad Guerrero Jr. just can really crush that ball and uh, Bo Bichette as well um, I think he was the person that came in for the winning run on that Tuesday night as well all right Coppin State updates um, what happened on the Sunday game and I think there was a midweek game as well Having mentioned it was a high-scoring game when I took my notes down I didn't realize that Coppin State was going to beat an 18-17 game but hey okay we did all the Delaware State ones Except for the Sunday game. Yeah. And then, so the Sunday one, uh, they won 18-6. to six. Uh-huh. Pretty impressive, right? And then they did a one-game series on Wednesday against Mount St. Mary's. Uh-huh. And they lost 17 to 21. They did. I um, looked. I was looking last night because I knew that this was the last game before we recorded. Um, the game started at 3 o'clock. So I think I looked about 7.45 to find out what the score was, Jackson. Yeah. So four hours, 45 minutes into the game, and they were just in the top of the ninth. So uh, now I know how Coppin State gets so many uh, steals. You know how they were in the top five in the nation? Yeah. It's because their games go on so long. Yeah. <laughs> the more at-bats you get, the more chances you have for steals. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, and I was... As I was watching it, it said bases loaded, and I was caught. I was like, Jackson, come now. You didn't hear me. And then I suddenly realized, uh-oh, it was actually the other team that had bases loaded. So, um, yeah, they took it 21-17, to 17, unfortunately. Um, I don't know if you've realized this, though, JJ. It's a very small sample size right now. We've been to two Coppin State games, and yeah. they've lost both. I'm hoping that we're not a jinx on them. I know baseball players can be a little superstitious. Um, I'm hoping that when we go to see them next time that that doesn't happen anymore. I want to see some wins. <laughs> I still enjoy watching the games, but I do want to see them win a game as well. Um, Coppin State's Marcus Castillo has been named the MEAC Baseball Player of the Week. A senior from Round, Round Rock, Texas, Castillo hit 438, 7 for 16 with 6 RBIs and a pair of runs scored against Delaware State. Castillo had 3 multi-hit games in the series, including a 3 for 4 effort with 2 RBIs and 2 steals in the first game of Saturday's doubleheader. There was a big... Um, there was a big uh, support group for Marcos, uh, for, yeah, as he, Marcos as he came in. You could hear them cheering for him. And I can see why. He's a really good player. He gets lots of hits. Um, he also made a home run on Sunday. And for the week, Castillo boasted a 526 on base percentage and stole five bases. That's a lot just for one person. Never mind. For that um, for a team, that would have been good. But for one player. For the season, Castillo is a hit in 298 while leading the Eagles in doubles, triples, extra base hits, and RBIs. Uh, Castillo also leads the team with 14 multi-hit games and has nine games with multiple RBIs. Castillo has been one of the top players in CSU history, hitting 321 with 90 runs scored 
152 hits, 32 doubles, a score record 15 triples, 10 home runs, and 92 runners batted in with 43 stolen bases. He ranks 10th in school history in hits, 6th in RBI, 7th in doubles, 6th in total bases, 5th in stolen bases, and 4th in hit by pitches. Now, I don't think that's a stat you want to lead in particular, being hit by pitch. Now, something occurred to me while I was reading this that also occurred to me with uh, who's going to be the next person to hit 3,000. Yeah. A lot of those players missed parts of two seasons because of COVID. Like, it's really difficult to try and be a, a record breaker when you didn't get to play full seasons. So it's kind of tough. Um, I did see one other thing as I was reading this review as well. All remaining home games this season will be played at Barkman Park, including MEAC series against Maryland Eastern Shores on April 29th to May 1st, and Delaware State again on May 6th to the 8th. So, yeah, the Joe Cannon Stadium, Jay? That's yeah. It. Perhaps they're doing the, perhaps they're doing some work on it or something, but they're going back to the park they played at at the start of the year. So I did see that mentioned there as well. Now, I did see one other thing as I was reading this. I was like, man, Marcus Castillo is so good. We're near the end of the season. We're not going to get to see Marcos next year because he's going to be graduating. So I was curious um, how many players actually are seniors. So I did actually look it up. But first, a little bit more about Marcus. 2021 Redshirt Junior, 2020 Junior, started all 12 of the game. He only played 12 games that season. Wow, that's not many at all. I think they played like 36 already this season. Hit 378 for the season. Whew, pretty impressive. 2019 as a sophomore, played in 35 games with 34 starts in the outfield. Despite missing several games due to an injury, hit 349, 24 runs, 9 doubles, and team and league high 6 triples to go with 19 RBIs. And uh, 2018 freshman, uh, Baltimore baseball, all Maryland All-Star, started in 40 of the 42 games he appeared in, primarily in center field, and hit 303 with 20 runs scored. Uh, MEAC leading five triples, two home runs, and 31 RBIs. Now, under his hobbies listed, it says he likes listening to music and playing baseball with bottle caps. What? Yeah, that's what I thought as well. After it, I have a question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Why wouldn't you just play with a baseball? Yeah. I don't understand that. I'm curious. I've never heard of Wait, people... Wait, it could... Like try and hit like his batting actors. Now I'm like wondering... try and hit it like like try and hit the bottle uh -huh. cap because it is like a, something smaller. So I like, so it might improve your practice. skills. So if you can hit a bottle cap, baseball will be much easier. Okay, that makes sense actually. I wonder if it moves like a wiffle ball as well. Have you ever seen how much a wiffle ball curves? It's like yeah. really difficult to hit. I'm wondering if it's the same with a bottle cap. All right, that might make sense. And also I saw on College Baseball Hub on Twitter, um, the on-base percentage leaders through games on April 26th. Uh, Corey Miley was in there at 10th place. I was looking through to see um, the look for the CSU logo and I saw that one. Uh, 104 at bats, 36 hits. So that was another thing I saw from uh, CSU this week. All right, this week in baseball, um, I saw this on College Baseball Hub. Uh, ben Siler punched out 19 batters today, the most in a single game at the Division I level this season. His final stat line, nine innings pitched, eight hits, two earned runs, three bases on balls, and 19 Ks. I was like, man, that's impressive. Now, I know that the Major League record is 20. And I want to say it's Kerry Wood for the Cubs. And I believe uh, Roger Clemens also tied it. 
And that got me wondering, JJ, hmm, yeah. I wonder what the record is though for college baseball. So I looked it up. Um, this is a story from Mike Lapresti on NCAA.com for May 8th, 2017. And this also comes from that area of Ohio we were talking about earlier. Bobby Schultz arrived at Miami, Flo Miami Ohio as a prep left-hander flamethrower from East Cleveland. He helped his short team win the Ohio High School State Championships by pitching two complete games in one day, striking out 27 in four 14 innings and giving up five hits, but his coach twice had to come to the mound and massage his cramping arm late in the second game. That summer, the Ohio School Athletic Association installed inning limits. People called it the Bobby Schultz rule. Now, I don't know if you know this, for baseball, for particularly for the major leagues, there's like a key number that once pitchers get there, most people are like, all right, he's tiring, it's time to bring him out. Do you know what that number is for major leagues? What? How many pitchers? 120. Uh, a little less. It's normally just about 100. Like, some people can go that, but normally once they go to 100, it's like, oh, he's going he's gonna to start tiring, it's time to bring in. So this guy pitched two games in one day, which used to happen a lot in the old days, actually, when um, they didn't used to have as many players. All right, the story goes from Oxford, Ohio, April 3rd, 1971. A right state batter swung and missed, and junior Buddy Schultz has struck out his 26th batter in one game. Now, do you know how many batters there are in a game? How many? Yeah. Wait, oh, sorry, how many? many outs there are in a game? I'm sorry. How many outs is there in one inning? Six. In one inning? For one team? Oh, three. Three, okay. And how many innings? Um, nine. All right, so how many outs then? Uh... You used to be able to do all your times tables when you were in kindergarten. <laughs> now you're in second grade, you're worse at your tables. Come on, nine times three. And make me milk. Oh my goodness, it's 27. So he struck out 26 people out of 27, so that's pretty impressive. Um, an NCAA record, 51 years later, the record still stands. And I think, and this is a quote, I think everybody wonders, everybody wonders what their legacy will be, Schultz said. Who in the hell is going to remember you in 50 years? If that's my legacy, that's a pretty good one to hang my hat on, because I'm pretty sure no one is ever going to get 27. And that'd be pretty tough to strike out every single person you face, because normally you get like a ground ball, fly ball, Something like that? Nope. Uh, Schultz pitched for five seasons in the majors, two for the Chicago Cubs and three for St. Louis. He had a perfectly honorable 3.68 career and run average, won 15 games, struck out 193 big league batters in 240 innings, but that day at Miami is his calling card, a fact he understands and embraces. In fact, his email address begins with 26Ks. Huh. It's kind of tempting to go um, 26Ks at hotmail.com. Send him an email, 26 emails at gmail.com. See if we can find out where Bobby Schultz is. Now, I said I had a surprise for you, and I didn't tell you what it was. I think I kind of have told you what it was going to be. Um, this yeah. is something that I started doing around 2000, because I thought I was going to be going back to England. I didn't realize I'd be living in uh, America, yeah. and I thought it'd be kind of cool. Doing every one uh, game every year? Uh, no, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Mason has started to do this, and you talked about it, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. As far as I know, you don't have any baseball cards right now. No. So I thought that this would be a good time to actually get you a baseball card. So I actually have, and I've kept, kept it here below the desk the whole time we've been recording so you couldn't see it. I actually have your first baseball card. Would you like to look at it? Yeah. And then would you like to tell us what it is? Yeah. All right, now I'll let you open it up. It's inside because it's to keep it protected. Uh, it's an autograph, Buddy Schultz. 
It is. So you have an autographed card of the guy who struck out 26 batters in one college game now. Um, now, that's not him in college, though. So do you want to tell us about the, the card on the front? Can you see what uniform it is? I can't see the uniform. Okay. Does it say in writing? Cardinals. Cardinals. Because, okay. like, you can look on the back and it's... Uh-huh. Yep. But yeah, they. I could see that you could get like um, a cheaper card, which was just a card, or you could get an autograph card. Now, I don't know that that is his autograph. It could be somebody who just wrote it on. I don't know for sure. Like, it's no certificate of authenticity. Um, but I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, that's worth paying just a little bit extra to start with. So, I don't know. I think that might be that might be something that you're interested in, collecting baseball cards. I know mm -hmm. we, we've kind of done different things. But I thought that was a pretty cool one to start with. And um, I hadn't heard the story about Buddy Shorts before, so... Um, I learned something new as well, and I thought that was pretty good. Um, not directly related to baseball in this week, but I did see that, like I say, somebody did set a record for college for this year, and I was kind of curious to find out those records. And I think that's probably what's going to happen, Jay. We're going to see somebody come up with a record for the week, and then I'm going to say, oh, I wonder what the overall record is, and then we'll probably find out. Um, anything else for this episode? Nope. Do we want to announce what uh, next week's episode is going to be? Or should we keep it a surprise? Surprise. Surprise. Okay. You Wait, gotta... I think it might be the Bowie Beast. No, no, we already did Bowie. We did, just did it. We just did it. All right, you better play the outro then. <laughs>